George and I spent a little bit of time working together on these sermons, and we both had a plan that we talked about, and neither of us did the plan. (laughs) It's situation normal. Before I get started, though, let me pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we come to your word, regardless of what comes out of my mouth, I ask that you would anoint the ears of those here today that you would guide me as I talk, but also that we would be in relationship that honors you. In your precious name, amen. So two weeks ago, George outlined a talk about passionately following Christ in the example of Peter and Charles Wesley, or John Wesley as a little bit of them. I need to speak to you about three traits of what it takes to be a passionate follower of Christ in your life. Three things that almost always show up in every passionate follower that I've ever been near. But before I do that, this is a sermon basically on God will give you the desires of your heart. Not the desires of your heart that you already have. So I have my heart box here, right? This is, this is my heart. And if I open this up, I've got all sorts of things, and I've got letters from people in it, and um, mine usually has designs of some project I've been working on or something I want to do, and, you know, it's just got a bunch of stuff in it that is pretty much needing to be emptied out fairly often. Now, there's important things in here. There's love letters, and there's, there's, there's my daughter's wedding thing, and I've got a son that just loves rocks, and, you know, I work with my hands, and... These are the things that often, when I talk to people about God giving you the desires of your heart, what they mean is, I've got some desires, and I'm praying that God will give them to me. Like, I would really like, just to be honest, if I were being honest, I would really like to have my fourth Ford Mustang right now. (laughs) But I don't. I had this first, second, and third ones already, and... If, if it was the desire of my heart, it would almost always be to have something like that. But that's not the desire of my heart that God is giving me. And so today's sermon is in that, on that topic, okay? So as I develop this literally, I need you to know that this heart-shaped box, you have one too, okay? Do you get that understanding that you have a spot in your life where you save up desires and hopes and memories, and they together become the, what you hold most dear. And so what I would like to do today is talk about three character traits. These are the three character traits, okay? The first one's relational, and I'm going to call it radical contentment in Christ. You get that? Contentment in Christ is not contentment in the world, It is not the same thing. I would really like to have all the amenities I see on all the home-to-go shows. I don't. It's okay. Somebody else can have them. I don't need them. I don't need the sort of desire in my heart after them. But this is the thought that occurred to me as I read this contentment in Christ. Okay, this is from Philippians 4. Philippians 4, and I'm going to read 4 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Rejoice! 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at the last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So the statement that strikes me in this is exactly this. I, I want for you and me, I still want this for me, even though I'm working on it, and I've been working on it for a number of years, this statement, are you ready? I want every single thing God has for me. Can you say that? I want every single thing God has for me. The back half of the statement is harder. I don't want anything God doesn't have for me. I don't want anything God doesn't have for me. Now, how do you work this out when, when in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it says, it gives this list of gifts, and it says, eagerly desire the, greatest, the greater gifts and all that. This is how I've figured this out in prayer and much wrestling with God. I really need to understand that I would like to be the gift of teacher, prophet, and all those. I, I want to have all those things in me, but I need to not do it because I want to be famous or well thought of and all that. I, we need to seek after these things because the body needs them the body of Christ, the family, the people of God need them. And when you get to that spot, it becomes important to understand this one thing. When you seek after these gifts, it might not be for you to have them, but the body to have them, which must mean somewhere along the line, what if somebody else has them? And I'm going to desire that for the body, that they would have a voice in the body of Christ. Look, if you begin to want every single thing that God has for you, you do that as a work and a relationship between you and the Holy Spirit working in your life where you dump out your heart box a little bit. Now, it isn't always quite so radical as I just dump it out and it all spills. Most of you will never experience it that way. It will be more like, well, I don't know but I could take this one thing out and put it down. Am I making sense? Sometimes you've got your heart in there, and, and to give up one thing, you know, these milestones in my life, I have part of a watch here. 
This is part of a watch. This, is, this was my high school graduation present, or at least part of it. Um, it's not the same crystal that was in it. I've broken that out seven times. And the brand is broken a number of times, and it doesn't work anymore. But somewhere along the line, you know, um, 30-some years afterwards, I still have this. And it was a big deal for me to go to high school where I went and, and for the friends that I had. But somewhere along the line, it doesn't really matter as much as it used to. But somewhere, we have to get to the spot where we will take out and say, God, this is yours to do with what you want. And when you do that, it's often the case that he will give it back to you in a way that then it becomes part of your relationship with him and his people. I want every single thing that God has for me. I want the memories and the depth that he taught me how to be who I am. I really want those things, and I want to be aware of them. But I don't want... I don't want to get them out of sequence or out of importance or out of the priority that they need to be. They need to be properly positioned. And so as, as I do this today, and, and I can start to put, like, it's not that this project that I had that I designed was such a big deal. It's that God gave me the ability to do a project and care for his p- place. We have this this funny thing at the parsonage here. We live in a church house on the other side of town, and I often get asked, because I do a lot of work around the house, I often get asked, why do you do that? It's not your house. I do it because not only is it good for me to work with my hands and not just with my brain and to get dirt under my fingernails regularly, I do it, well, The primary reason is my wife lives in that house, and wherever she's living, I'm going to work on it. But but third, this is part of stewardship of the Lord's stuff. And it's not my stuff. It's okay for me to work on things that are not mine. Have you ever figured that out in your life, that it's okay to work on somebody else's stuff? It's a gift from the Lord. Okay, so radical contentment in Christ as we give our hearts over to him. And by the way, this is never done outside of the conversation you and the Holy Spirit are having together. And just need to say that. Have you had that conversation with God? What do you want me to get rid of? What do you want me to take on? Is there a skill that you want me to learn and work on? Sometimes we do that by the second character trait that I want to work into. These are not in any particular order because they happen together. You can't work on one and hope the other two show up. So here's number two. Are you ready? Ardent discipleship. Do you see this book? This is this, is this book. Lots of times I, I was having trouble with my electronic version of this this morning, and so I've got this one. I like my electronic version because it has six six different translations in it. But this book is a love letter from God to you. And I gotta ask you this question. If your spouse or somebody you love writes you a note, do you just read half of it and put it down and walk away? No, you don't. 
When, when, when my wife writes me a note, I read the whole thing. And if I get it interrupted, I interrupt other things to get back to what I'm reading. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, I implore you to dig, constantly dig, finish the love letter. It's actually, for me, about the 15th or 16th time through, I started hearing echoes from the other parts of the, of the book throughout it. And it's the most amazing thing. Suddenly, all the little pieces that never made sense start to work together. Here's the verse, okay? I'm going two places with this one just because we need to. This is from Isaiah 8. And it's in a difficult patch, okay? It's... Isaiah and the signs of his children. So here it is, Isaiah 8, verses 12 to 17. This is very interesting for today. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread, what, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one with you, are, are to re, is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one who is to, you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble and they will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Here's the point. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instructions amongst my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants and I will put my trust in him. Here I am and the children of the Lord he has given me. We are the signs and symbols of Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells in Mount Zion. That's right. Bind up the testimony and the instruction of the Lord inside your heart so that what, what will happen then? Did you catch it? Did you catch what it says? It says that you're not going to get caught up in all the conspiracy theory stuff. Is that, is that relevant for today? Everything's a conspiracy theory nowadays, isn't it? So-and-so is making this happen from behind the scenes. It's not going to get better, by the way, just to let you know. Don't fear what they fear. Well, how is it that you're to know what to fear and not to fear? If your heart is not trustworthy on its own, and I could make the case, and I could make a large case that your heart and my heart on their own are not trustworthy to, to know what's right or wrong. The only way that we get to a spot where our hearts can be trustworthy is to start to put his word in us and have it start to transform us. There are people in here that call the Old Testament, not, not in here, but people that I meet that call the Old Testament, you know, that, that's over, and besides that, that was an angry God. But if you read and read and read, and let it wash over you long enough, you'll begin to see the patience of a God who interacts with a really stiff-necked people or, or something my dad would call head up in a locked position. 
Have you ever met anybody with a head up in a locked position? They're just going. They've got an idea and they're going to do it. But the problem is, is that we ourselves don't know right from wrong until this book and the witness of the Holy Spirit fills us. But don't just read it like it's a novel. Certainly read it like it's a novel at least once. But read it as though it's a love letter from your beloved. Because it is. He wants to be desperately in relationship with you. And the heart of righteousness is that he has done every single thing necessary to be in right relationship with you. Now it's up to us to do that too. So what was the first trait? Radical contentment. I want every single thing Christ has for me, and I don't want what he doesn't have. Well, how are you going to know what those things are? You need to study his word and spend time in relationship with him because that's the second one, ardent discipleship. It's not just about reading this book. It's reading this book and praying and interacting with God's people and learning. That's what discipleship is. The third trait, are you ready? Eager availability. Eager availability. This is from Acts um, 26. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Have you ever, ever, just let me interrupt the reading of this. Have you ever just felt God say to you, you should go over there for a little bit? I'm not going to tell you why. You don't need to know why. It happened uh, to me in um, October of last year. We were up in Bonner's Ferry for a walk, and we were at the closing service. A walk is this group that just came up and prayed here. I've been working these for a number of times. By the way, just if you see somebody wearing one of these funky nail crosses around the building today and you want to know more about that, ask them. They'll do that. That's why we wore, wore it today, so that you could, you could see us. We would not be in hiding. Anyway, so we're in this, in this spot, and there was a disturbance over, over on the other side of the room, and I didn't know it, right? I was, I was busy over here doing Dave's stuff, which could be anything, right? Having a conversation or something. And I felt God say to me, you should be over there. And I got up and I moved. Now, I have an example. I've got a friend who does this in a much more radical way. Um, I, see, I see somebody here that knows him as well. There's several of you. Um, he will often try to meet me for coffee, but the last time he tried to meet me for coffee, he said, I'm sorry, I have to be on such and such a corner in Northport at 1 p.m., and I don't know what's happening. Are you available for whatever the Lord has? Anyway, back to the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, are we ready? Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, 
Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before its shearers silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And th then Philip began with every, with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Look, how do you do that if you haven't been studying the word a little? Have you found a way to put the gospel in your own words so that it can actually come out of your mouth in an understandable way? As they traveled along the road, they came in some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? That is a, look, if you ever want to think of a powerful moment in your life, you're starting to talk to somebody about Jesus, and they want to be baptized on their own, that's a powerful moment. And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went away rejoicing. And then Philip was seen at Azotus. Just, you know, just happened to be needed somewhere else. And he was so available. I just, I just can't get enough of this radical availability. I need to tell a story my, my, my district superintendent asked me how I identify the giftedness of the people in my church. So how many of you have taken gift tests along the lines, somewhere along the lines? Okay. Any of you have the gift of helps? You have the gift of help, helping? Okay, is the office of gifting of helps, is there a little spot in the church? I, I see you over here and I'm just, focusing on you, but I don't need to. Does your church have an office for the gift of helps that you could just go in there and say, I need help? And No, they don't. They don't have that. What they have is people that are helpful. The office of, of the gift is not the gift itself. Being a helper, actually helping, is the amazing gift of God. If, for those that raised your hand, am I telling you the truth? Am I telling the truth? Actually helping somebody is the amazing gift. Okay, I almost always register very high on the prophetic side of those gift things. Let me tell you, the office of the prophet is not a blessing in its own. Actually, most people don't want you around. But the office of the prophet is not the gift. Speaking God's word into somebody's life is the gift. That's the way the giftedness works. But this is what I say to my, my, my district superintendent. I think those gift tests could be super awesome if one thing, and this is how, these are the two ways that I identify giftedness from the beginning. Three ways, three ways. Okay, are you ready? Will they say yes? And number two, do it. So if you won't say yes, I don't care how gifted you are because I can't get you to do anything because you won't say yes. If you say yes and you won't do it, that's basically unhelpful. 
You've, you've seen this, all of parents. Any kids said yes and then didn't do it? It was not helpful. Third thing, they say yes and they do it and there's joy around the doing. Okay, so all three of those things, that is a eager availability is the gift of the spirit in us that the heart of giftedness is not your natural abilities. It's not. It's where God's strength could be made strong in your weakness. Your, your giftedness as you do things around the building might be that you're not actually any good at it, but you do it with such joy that the community just exalts in that. And so as I start to put this back together, I have a couple of things for my heart box. Are you ready? What was the first one? Contentment. That's the yellow one here. If I put contentment in my heart box, it's going to make a change in my life, isn't it? I'm going to start to be happy whether or not my car happens to be the newest Mustang possible or perhaps something fancier like a Tesla or something like that. I put contentment in there. But as I do it, I also put it in my heart with discipleship. I begin to work hard at being a disciple of Jesus, and I'm content with every single thing he has for me. But it's not enough. There was a church in the Tri-Cities that they used to tell newcomers, and I need to make sure that you hear this just really specifically. Um, They used to tell newcomers, come in and sit in the pews for six months until we get to know you. And then he would complain that nobody was ever doing anything. Well, I hate to tell you this, they were actually following his direction. They had been taught to do nothing for six months. And the cultural momentum of that is really strong. Unless you get to everybody you told to sit and say, okay, now it's time to do, they won't get up out of the chair and start doing. They have to be available. And so the gifting the way that we do things starts right off within the body of Christ. You have to be be ready if you're going to be a passionate follower of Christ to be content with somebody else getting the notoriety. Because it's good for the body that somebody else did that and not you doing it. It would only be good for you if you did everything except... In the church, I hate to tell you this, that if you, do, if you have one person that does every single thing in this church, then you have essentially unequipped every other believer in the building. It's really important that the discipleship, the availability, and the contentment all meld together in your life as God creates that in you. Once you get those things in your life, You know, instead of just being a rock, this is peace. And it's not just my daughter and my son's stuff that I find important. It's the other people around me's accomplishments. And and I even get to put some of my own stuff back into my heart. But I do it in such a way that now I recognize the accomplishments that other people did like mine or that were neat. And it's a way to recognize that. 
I have a computer cable here just to remind me that it's kind of my job to be around and solve problems with computers and things like that for people. Those of you who know me know that I do that, that I just love doing that. It's, it's just that, but, but that it makes me helpful to somebody else. Yeah, I even get to put my projects back in and they all fit. Every so often, some of them will get left out, but it's okay because I'm content in my heart. Can you build your heart-shaped box in this way? Can you work towards a life of radical contentment that reads the love letter God gave you, that makes you a disciple, it brings you to prayer and conversation, and it makes you eager to serve him wherever you go. If you, if you will set your heart on him and you'll, you'll transform your brain and your commitment, if you'll give up your calendar to the Lord, your life will change. Let me say that again. As we do this today, may these three work together in your heart to show, to create with the Spirit of God. Okay, you're not doing this alone. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. He's the master of this project, and your cooperation is, 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 is requested. Otherwise, it doesn't happen, but he will make it happen with you that you could be a passionate follower of Christ, that you might be Wesley writing 5,000 songs, even if his brother says, you know, don't we have enough yet? It's kind of the John Lennon and Paul McCartney moment. Are you just filling the world with silly love songs? Yes. What the world needs now is love. Eagerly desire the greatest gifts. If you read that out of 1 Corinthians 12, don't forget that 1 Corinthians 13 ends with the greatest of these is love. It all goes together. It's not that the gifts are important. It's how you do it. Don't be a clanging gong, if you will. I think I've said enough. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I ask specifically that you would be a palpable presence in each and every person's life here. That you would that you would draw them into a passionate relationship that would make them a passionate follower, which would make them a member of a body that is growing, that they would be content, that they would be your disciples, available to you, that they could get up and go and do what you ask them to do, and there'd be joy in your house. Amen.